This morning, we come to uh, the final part of our series uh, through the book of Colossians, the final section of the book. Uh, And as we're going to look at that this morning, we're going to think about the task of proclaiming the name we've been singing about, of sharing the gospel. So it's on page 1184, if you've got um, a pew Bible there, uh, 1184. And I would encourage you to to keep a Bible open as we um, look at it, because I'll be referring to it later on. So Colossians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 2, and as I say, it's on page 1184. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. As I said, I'd encourage you to keep that um, in front of you, but before we look at it, let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray just now, as we look at the end of this letter that your servant Paul wrote to the Colossians so long ago, that you would be pleased to speak to us, encourage us, rebuke us, Just have your way with us as we consider what you are saying to us through it, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect a good number of you over the past week have been enjoying watching the tennis at Wimbledon, maybe particularly following Andy Murray, though not anymore. He certainly didn't make it look easy even in the games that he won. But I remember reading a few years ago an article written by a ball boy, actually. It was about what goes on behind the scenes at Wimbledon, because apparently it's a whole different world that we never get to see. 
In fact, there is literally another venue underneath the venue that we see. Underneath the courts, they store all the tennis balls and mounds of strawberries and cream and so on. It's a venue underneath the venue with a maze of corridors and tunnels and rooms where all work goes on. But I remember most interesting was this ball boy talking about his experience on the court the pressure that they feel like they're under, especially in big games. It's really an amazing job that they do if you think about it. And you've maybe noticed that one of the things that they do is that they're to have tennis balls available for a player who's about to serve, and they kind of hold them up like this and they throw them to them very systematically. But when they run out, they give this signal. They give the signal that they've got nothing in their hands. It's a bit awkward because the whole team of ball boys and girls that have failed to spread the tennis balls out amongst themselves so that they all have some to give. But in a strange way, I think this is what Paul has been doing with the Colossians and the gospel. What he wants them to do and what we're going to look at today is to spread the gospel, to give the gospel to other people so that they can serve it, if you like, so they can discover it for themselves. But he knows the Colossians can't do that if they don't know what the gospel is, if they don't have it themselves, if they don't know how to keep going on in it. And that's why that has been his focus up to now that we've seen. He had to tell them how to grow in the gospel first before he could tell them how to share it. He's told them that he's thankful for them, that he's praying for their growth in the gospel. He tells them not to shift from the teaching they heard first, and he gives them warnings about things which would, which would hinder them as they follow Christ. He explains how they're to take, take off the old sinful practices and put on new Christ-like ones. He tells them to do literally everything, whether in word or in deed, in the name of Jesus Christ. And last week we saw he unpacks what this means in terms of all kinds of relationships, parents and children, husbands and wives, masters and slaves even, which we might think of today as employers and employees. But Paul has gone through all of this with the Colossians, and we've gone through these things over the last six weeks so that we can keep going and growing in our faith. But the other reason why we've done these things is so that we'll be in a good place to share the gospel. Paul knows that we can't spread the gospel if we're not living it, if we're not actually embracing it. He doesn't want to leave us like a ball boy with no tennis balls to give Roger Federer. No, one of the reasons he's given all this teaching is so that we'll be well equipped to supply the good news of the gospel to those who need it. And as Paul turns to this topic of sharing the gospel, he gives us a number of instructions that are are important for us to pick up upon, and we're just going to walk through this passage together this morning and look at those. Look again with me at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. If there's one thing that's going to stump us when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's a lack of prayer. And it's one of the easiest things for us to overlook, to become slack in, to let slide, to become lethargic in it. But when we look at the early church, which was a growing church, we see prayer. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Then in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I could go on, but the point is that sharing the gospel and prayer go hand in hand. Now, of course, God could bring people to faith if He wanted to without us praying, because God can do anything. 
But the Bible teaches us that God chooses to build His church when His people are prayerful, or at least normally when His people are prayerful. Whether we're praying about sharing the gospel or not, let me put it this way. If you've let prayer slide in your life and you're not really praying anymore, and God isn't really a part of your day then, and if that's the case, well, when an opportunity comes up to share the gospel, you're probably not even going to see it because you're not tuned in to what God is doing. But on the other hand, if you're devoted to prayer, if every part of your life is saturated in prayer, then you're going to be in step with God. You're going to have something of an appreciation for all the things He's doing in your life. Then you're going to see those opportunities, and you're more likely to draw on His strength to take them. Be devoted to prayer, Paul says, and be watchful and thankful. Being watchful is an interesting phrase because it's the same word that Jesus used of his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stay here, he said, and keep watch. Be watchful. Jesus instructed his disciples to keep watch and to pray, but they fell asleep. And I think this is why Paul is using this language. He knows how easy it is for us to let our prayer lives go to sleep. And if we're honest about it, it happens to everybody. I'm not trying to make us feel bad this morning, but Paul wants to warn us, be devoted to prayer, be watchful and thankful. And this is going to take discipline. This can sometimes be really hard, but we simply can't overstate how important it is. One old hymn puts it like this, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. Be devoted in prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And Paul goes on to explain some of the things that we should pray about, verses 3 and 4. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you notice what Paul doesn't get the Corinthians, or not the Corinthians, the Colossians to pray for there? He doesn't ask the Colossians to pray that things would go well for him. He doesn't ask them to pray that he would get out of jail. But he does ask them to pray that his work might be even more effective. Now, we don't know how those prayers were answered exactly in in Paul's immediate circumstances. But we do know that Paul's imprisonment caused him to write letters, which he maybe wouldn't have written otherwise. And these letters have blessed far more lives than he could have reached, actually, if he'd been set free and had gone out speaking. Pray that a door would be opened for the word. Pray that it would be proclaimed clearly as it should be. It's actually something, if we are praying, it's quite easy practically to do this. Paul even tells us here what to pray. We simply have to choose who to pray for. Pray for Marty and me and Angela and Dan and even many of yourselves as you meet people in this community who need to hear the gospel. Pick a missionary you know, get their prayer newsletter and pray for them. Don't swamp yourself with them. Choose who you're going to do it for because then you're more likely to keep it up. Commit to doing that even just once a week, but be disciplined in doing it. Pray that doors will be opened and that they will proclaim the word clearly as they should. If you know someone in ministry, drop them a phone call. Let them know that you want to pray for them because that will encourage them and ask them how you can pray for them. It's not rocket science, but we need to be watchful because it's easy to become lethargic in prayer, to quit. 
But the Bible says, be devoted to prayer, pray for doors to open, and pray for the message to go forward clearly. Paul goes on in verses 5 and 6 then, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, there are other parts of the Bible which tell us to share the gospel, and that's it. You know, go into all nations, make disciples, preach, teach, baptize. But here Paul seems a little bit more tactful, doesn't he? He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. And I think this is because Paul appreciates that the Colossians find themselves in a pretty difficult environment. They were a minority, and the world was hostile to them. And so as much as there's a time to share the gospel openly and directly, of course there is, there is also a time to be wise, to have our conversations seasoned with salt, to have that gospel flavor to them so that people can see that there's something different about us. We make an impression on them. And making a good impression isn't everything, of course it isn't, but it is important. Because if we're not acting wisely before outsiders, then even if we share the message, the message will be undermined because of the way we act and speak, if we speak in a way that doesn't honor Christ. No, we need to present the gospel at all times in how we live, how we speak, even when we're not speaking about the gospel. It's to be seasoned with salt, not gossiping, not crude, not slanderous, but seasoned with salt. I don't even know if you can still get packets of salt and shake crisps. They made a bit of a comeback during my childhood, I remember. But have you ever tried eating those crisps before you put the salt on them? I did it once because I was a child and I was, well, stupid. They're very bland. Of course they are. They're not attractive at all. And that's how it is with us when we speak and we act in a way that, that's not wise or gracious or to use Paul's metaphor that isn't seasoned with salt. We're not attractive then, and that might put people off the gospel message. So it's not always about speaking the gospel up front, but that's not an excuse to avoid speaking the gospel. Remember verse 5 again, Paul says, yes, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. But look what he says next, make the most of every opportunity. As one commentator puts it, Christians must blend wisdom with a sense of reckless urgency that exhausts every opportunity to reach unbelievers. Christians must blend wisdom with a sense of reckless urgency that exhausts every opportunity to reach unbelievers. We're not to be afraid to speak the gospel. We're not to feel threatened or isolated. We're to speak openly with people. We're not to fall into the trap of being so gracious that we're afraid to offend anyone, so we never actually share the gospel at all. People won't darken the door of a church that they're never invited to. We're not showing compassion or love or wisdom, for that matter, if we keep silent and never share the truth about Jesus Christ with those who desperately need to hear it. It's that blend. We need to be wise in the way that we act, know when the moment is to speak, but still not shy away from speaking. Now, it would be easy in this last page of Colossians, as we have it in the Pew Bibles, these last 10 or 11 verses, as Paul rounds off, and he mentions names of all these people who we don't really know who send greetings. It would be easy to skip them, 
But I think to do so would be a mistake because Paul shows us in these verses that to keep spreading the gospel, we need not just to focus on ourselves and what we say and do, though that's important, but actually the job of sharing the gospel is for the whole church. It involves a a wide network of people who are supporting and encouraging one another, whether they're close by like the believers who Paul says are beside him and who have been a great encouragement to them, or whether they're far away like the believers who send Colossians their greetings. And so within this network, there are a number of points that we can pick up just as we finish this letter together. And one is the importance of reporting back from the mission field. It doesn't sound terribly profound, but, it, but it's important. Paul is going to send two of his companions back to the Colossians to report back on how things are going. Look with me again at verses 7 to 9. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Paul is sending these two believers to Colossae. It seems likely that they would have been the delivery men for the letter itself, no royal mail in those days. Tychicus is just one of Paul's companions, he says. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus is a Colossian himself. He's one of you, Paul says. And the purpose of their coming back to Colossae is so that they can report on all that's happening in Paul, in Paul's mission where he's in prison. Paul doesn't just want to send a prayer letter. He wants these two men to go to Colossae so that they can give a report on all that's happening and so that they can encourage the Christians there by reporting all that's happening. And it's important that we actually do this. And we do try to do this in Ravenhill from time to time, not all the time. But every now and then we devote time in our service, even our whole service, to hearing people report back from the mission field. Most recently, we had Keith Preston here from the International Meeting Point. We've had Colin report back on his time in Israel. Even through lockdown, when church was online, we heard from some of you working on the front line and witnessing on the front line in the pandemic. We heard from Christians in Lebanon and North Korea working with Release International and SAT7. We heard from chaplains. We heard from lots of other people. And I just want you to see this morning that we don't just do these things to give the minister a slightly easier week, to give him one less sermon to prepare or whatever. We actually do this because we're meant to do it. The Bible tells us we should do it. The disciples reported back to Jesus when he sent them out. The apostles reported back to the churches that sent them out through the book of Acts. And in Paul's letters, there are frequent examples of this. It's important. It's not just communication of information or even something that's you know, a bit interesting. You go away saying, oh, that's interesting. You don't know how Christians live on the other side of the world. No, as we see God at work in other places, we're, we're spurred on to serve him here. It's meant to encourage us to do that. So the next time we have a service where someone reports on mission work that they're doing, and by the way, as far as I know, that's going to happen in two weeks' time, don't switch off. Don't think you won't get anything out of the service. Don't come away from the service and say, well, yeah, it was interesting this morning. But look for the way the gospel is spreading because of the work that these people are doing. Thank God. Pray for these people and be encouraged and spurred on to go out and do the same. 
We see a number of other things in these closing verses. We see greetings arrive from Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus Justice, Epaphras, Luke, the doctor, and Demas. I just want to pick up on Epaphras because he is a Colossian. Again, Paul says he's one of you, but he has left Colossae to do mission work. Look at verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Epaphras hasn't forgotten his roots. He's wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. And I have to say, I've I've actually seen this in my own life. I I have some contact with missionaries in Romania, as you know, um, in the Republic of Ireland, and also in Asia. I can't say where for security reasons, but these are people that I know personally, and although they've gone away with various mission organizations, they're originally from Northern Ireland. And the thing that strikes me is that so often when I communicate with them, which is usually through email, they always say that they're praying for me or for Ravenhill or for PCI. And this used to confuse me actually quite a bit. I used to think, why are you praying for me? You're in the middle of an environment where there aren't many Christians. Some of you are being persecuted. In one case, you have to evangelize in secret. You face poverty. And I thought, no, I I wanna pray for you, not the other way around but this isn't how it is. Epaphras is on the front line, working hard for the gospel, yet he is praying for the Colossians who have sent him out. And we should never allow ourselves to think more highly of ourselves than other Christians in difficult circumstances. It's true that we might live in comfort where they live in difficulty. It's true that sometimes we are the senders of missionaries and they receive missionaries from us. But there's no two-tier system in Christianity. We're not better Christians. We don't need less prayer. We are supposed to pray for them, yes, but they also pray for us. Ministers and elders and missionaries and evangelists should pray for congregations just as much as congregations pray for them. I love the picture that Paul gives us here. The mission of the church is for all of us, and it's done by all of us, dependent on one another and holding one another up in prayer. It's powerful. Then the letter finishes with three instructions that we'll look at quickly. First, in verse 16, Paul says that this letter is to be read in the church in Laodicea, and the letter to the Laodiceans, which is possibly Ephesians in our Bibles, it was then to be read to the Colossians. And just really briefly, if you've ever wondered why these letters from Paul are part of the Bible, you know, a letter to a specific group of people in a specific time, why should that be studied and looked at by us? Well, I think this tells us, yes, it should be part of the Bible, and Paul knew this when he wrote it. The New Testament authors knew what they were doing. It's not just a random collection of writings. Another example in 1 Timothy 5:18, Paul says, for Scripture says... And he goes on to quote Luke. He says, for scripture says, the worker deserves his wages. So Paul, who knows Luke, he's mentioned him here at the end of Colossians, he considers what Paul or what Luke has written as scripture. And see here in Colossians, this, this letter I've written to you, Colossians, go and read it in Laodicea. And you see those Christians at Laodicea, well, they've got Ephesians, so let them send that to you and have it read in your church. 
Yes, there are specific letters written to specific people at a specific time, but Paul knew that they would have a wider audience. He knew the Holy Spirit would teach Christians from different places and different times through what he was writing. Secondly, then in verse 17, Paul instructs the Colossians to tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. We don't know what that work was. We can't guess. But we do know that Paul didn't write Archippus a separate little note. The instruction was to be read out in front of the whole church. Again, in spreading the gospel, we're not to be lone rangers. It's a task that we're meant to do together. The church was meant to encourage Archippus to go on and complete the work that he had been given. And then finally, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul probably didn't write all of this letter by hand. He he probably dictated it to somebody who wasn't in chains, but he says that he writes this greeting in his own hand. And he says, remember my chains. I don't think he's looking for pity. I think he's trying to encourage them. Look, it really is me writing this stuff to you. You know my handwriting. Remember, I'm still here. The gospel is still being spread despite my difficulties. Be encouraged. Grace be with you. And that finishes the book of Colossians. Keep spreading the gospel. It's our inclination not to do that, not to spread the gospel, to become prayerless in our lives and to take the safer, quieter option, which we might call the wiser option. But in the gospel, God gives us access to Him through Christ in prayer. He gives us each other in the church so that we can speak boldly, acting wisely, and with our conversation seasoned with salt. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think of the task that you have given us of spreading the gospel, Lord, we confess that sometimes it just seems like such a big task. It's something that is easy for us to shy away from. Lord, forgive us when we have been prayerless. Forgive us when we haven't made the most of every opportunity. Forgive us when our conversation has not been seasoned with salt and we have not been wise in the way that we have acted before outsiders. And yet, Lord, we thank you for what we've been reading through this whole book of Colossians, that we can keep on keeping on because of your grace. If we are rooted in Christ and rooted in what he has won for us, then, Lord, you will accept us. So, Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit to live this out, Show us each in our own lives the outsiders that we need to be wise in front of. Show us the opportunities that you would give us. And help us, Lord, to pray for and to support and encourage one another as the body of your people here in Ravenhill and even further afield to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.